0: Michigan is one of 27 states that allow some form of direct democracy. That is, it allows its residents to take lawmaking into their own hands to initiate a process, gathering signatures of registered voters to either enact legislation or amend the state constitution via a vote of the people. And Michiganians are enthusiastic about the process. There are usually at least a few ballot initiatives facing voters during election years, this year, there are three. And this week, we're releasing our first paper explaining them to the public. I'm Nancy Derringer, and this is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Okay, Labor Day is in our rearview mirror, which means that election season is in full swing, which means that informed Michigan voters, which I assume the people who listen to this podcast are, are soon going to have to educate themselves on some of the ballot questions that they will be facing on the November ballot. So. This is our, one of the things that we do well, I believe, and today we are releasing the first of the three ballot analyses that we've prepared, and that is on Proposal 2, which many people will think of as the anti-gerrymandering uh, question. This initiative would set up an independent commission charged with redrawing district boundaries, legislative district boundaries after the every 10-year U.S. census. And joining me today is Eric Lufer, our president, and Jordan Newton, one of our researchers who's done a lot of work on this subject, to discuss exactly what Proposal 2 would do and how it would work. So welcome, guys.
1: Thank you. Have good to Get together again? Yes, of course. Yeah, good to be back on.
0: Okay. All right. So, Jordan, the first question is for you. Um, as briefly but con- or as concisely as possible, explain how Proposal 2 would work if it passes.
2: So Proposal 2 has a couple of core elements. The first is it would create a redistricting commission that is independent from the legislature. It would be a 13-member panel with four uh, members from the Republican Party, four members from the Democratic Party, and five independents uh, that are randomly selected from a pool of applicants. Uh, They would have to vote. Uh, in somewhat unison to be able to come together with, uh, you know, consensus on how our district maps would look. Um, The second component of the proposal would create new rules for the redistricting process. Um, Currently, our state's rules are invalidated because the constitutional provisions were uh, considered null and void uh, based on the one-person, one-vote standard. Um, The the Michigan Supreme Court ultimately decided that the entirety of Michigan's redistricting law uh, was considered non-severable from this portion or was rejected along with it because the components had to function together otherwise they didn't really make much sense in the constitution and so uh, proposal 2 would add uh new criteria to kind of govern that process, including things like maintaining compact contiguous districts, uh, requiring equal population and following the Voting Rights Act, and then a couple of new provisions, which would be uh, the anti-gerrymandering provision and inclusion of a communities of interest provision, which would require the commission to keep uh, communities that have certain electoral, cultural, and social uh, similarities together uh, during the redistricting process.
0: Okay. Now, this citizen initiative arose out of, I think we can probably call it, um, some voter disenchantment with our current system, which our own research has shown um, is demonstrates evidence of gerrymandering. So. For those readers or listeners rather who who might not be exactly clear on what definition of partisan gerrymandering we 're using, uh, could you just kind of sketch that one out too
2: so partisan gerrymandering is the use of the redistricting process to generate a political advantage or disadvantage for a political party. In the instance of Michigan, that would mean drawing congressional legislative district or legislative districts uh, for you know in a way that would provide more seats for one party or the other.
0: Okay, and in this case, we're talking about the Republican Party. I mean, they they were the ones who redrew these these districts the, after the last census and um, gave us the ones that we have now.
1: To to give. Uh, a good illustration of this: the Trump election. Trump won Michigan, but he only won it uh, by about ten thousand votes. Uh, but when you look at the outcome of the election, we have nine Republican congressional members and five Democrat, so a fairly even split in how people voted for the presidential candidate. But the how the districts were drawn affects. Uh, A very decided Republican majority. The same thing plays out in the state Senate uh, where the votes are fairly evenly split, but still the Republicans have a very decided majority. Uh, So, you know, sort of taking that theoretical what is gerrymandering and illustrating why it matters. How does that play out? uh, What are the results we get from that gerrymandering?
2: And to kind of answer your question that you asked uh, after that, a lot of it comes down to unitary control of the legislature. Republicans have kind of been in control during both the 2001 and 2011 redistricting cycle and have used that to kind of draw the maps in their favor. But it's very likely that, if Democrats were in the same position, they would have done the same thing in their own favor
0: right i don't think that's I don't think any of us are under the illusion that that the other party wouldn't do the same thing if they were able to do it. So the idea here then is to is to take that job out of the hands of the legislature, no matter which party is in power, and turn it over to this uh, more or less evenly divided commission. Um, which would not be able to bigfoot one another, shall we say um, they may not be able to um, they won't be able to just to just ram something through. they would have to compromise a little bit right that
1: that is an important element of what's here, so the commission is set up with four uh, people who say they're Republicans, four Democrats, and five people who say they're independent. We can't really know how independent they are, but they're going to attest that they're independent and and they don't see themselves strongly with either party. So what do you do then? There's people, everybody comes into a process like this with some bias, Uh, where they live affects their perception of southeast michigan or west michigan or northern michigan uh so how do you get past that well the system they've set up when it comes to having maps to decide on we have now you know say 10 choices how do we decide what shall be that map first they look for the commissioners to try to come to a majority are they willing to compromise and come to a decision on their own uh If that process breaks down, then there's a system using rank order voting where you prioritize, this is the map I like the best, and that might point to a Democratic map or a Republican map. How do you give that party that you align with uh, your vote and try to create something, but you know that whoever's on the other side will be voting the opposite way on that? Uh, But then you have to say, what's your second and third choice and fourth choice? And what happens then is people have to be very strategic that they want to have a map that maybe isn't their top choice, but something they can live with. And if everybody is coming to a a point where there's something they can live with, not everything they want, it, it it pushes people towards consensus and pushes people towards compromise. And if that system breaks down and we don't end up with a map out of that, Then it goes to random choice, where the Secretary of State would just randomly pick from the maps that have been offered. So nobody uh, sort of game theory would say you don't want to get to the point where it's random selection. You might not be getting what you want, but that random selection might end up with something that you really, really, really don't want. Right. Uh, So... Uh, this entered, This creates some level of game theory into this. How do you create a process where people are willing to come to the middle, come to a place where they can live with what is offered, even though it doesn't have everything that they would do if they were drawing these maps on their own? Okay. And that's a really important element of the uh, the proposal that's been created. Okay.
2: Is and his... I also, oh, Go ahead, those. Uh, And in addition to that, the um, legislature has kind of shown that, you know, when they have to come to a compromise, they've failed. When there's been divided government in the 80s and 90s attempt of the legislature to actually create districting plans, uh, there was deadlock. And this happened with the previous commission in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They couldn't agree when they had to have an equal number of commissioners without any sort of tie-breaking process or tie-breaking vote. And so, having these kind of mechanisms that force them to kind of come to an agreement, otherwise, you know, having a sort of uh, dead hand switch is kind of important.
0: I see. So, is this Is this proposal based on something that has been tried in another state and has worked or not worked? I guess we should allow for that possibility.
2: It kind of reflects um, some processes that have been attempted in California and Arizona. Uh, Arizona passed theirs uh, going into the 2001 redistricting process, and California is going into the 2011 redistricting process. Both of them have had some, you know, moderate success in reducing the levels of partisan gerrymandering, though they haven't gone without having some complications in their own right. Uh, Arizona's commission has had some problems in the most recent uh, attempt at drawing the maps with their independent commissioner. They only have one independent on their commission uh, being impeached for Uh, gross misconduct by the legislature Uh, that impeachment was eventually overturned, but the process became very polarized based on party lines. Um, California has had less extreme partisan, uh, instance in theirs. Um, though there have been some complaints about the way that the commission went about, uh, using these communities of interest provisions in terms of listening to, uh, what might be considered more partisan politics data than not. Hmm.
0: And I'm struck by the fact that, um, once we sort these applicants to be on this commission into their various, um, Slots of Republican, Democrat, or Independent, they're going to be chosen at random. So that would seem to suggest that it's possible that we might end up with a commission that is perhaps geographically lopsided. Um, you know, you, you, people in the Upper Peninsula like to um, complain that, that nobody pays any attention to them. Um, is there any, any allowance made for geographical representation here?
2: Uh, Yeah, there is. The uh, initial pool of 200 applicants that are selected is statistically weighted so that uh, certain demographics and geographic regions will be represented in that pool of 200. Now, once the um, leadership gets to remove a couple of candidates, if they see that there might be a candidate that might be biased or might be misrepresenting their views, or they just don't like uh, in that pool of 200, uh, they get a Total of twenty votes between, or twenty removals between, uh, the majority leaders and the minority leaders in the House and the Senate. Okay. Uh, They are selected at random from that pool. Now that could mean that any specific region might end up getting overrepresented because it's random from that remaining 180 names. um, But they will be represented fairly well by that initial pool of 200. Okay.
0: It sounds a lot like picking a jury.
1: There's a lot of similarity to that. that You come in with more people than you need, and in a jury, the lawyers have a choice. In this case, the House and Senate majority and minority leaders, uh, they have some disqualifications that they can use, and it doesn't have to be... They can use it for any way they want, so sort of the logic is that they would look at the pool of Republican candidates and say, well, that's a a Democrat saying that he's a Republican or (laughs) a a Republican saying that they're a Democrat or that person who claimed to be independent I know has been campaigning for this candidate or another. Um, But they could just say, I don't like that person. I don't want them to be part of that. And, And that's the way it works. And it's the same way with jury selection, that the lawyer can just say, I just don't like the looks of that person. I don't want them to be part of the jury.
0: Right. The The peremptory challenge, what we call. So That's right. Um, you know, this is inter- an interesting um, element of a broader movement, um, which I think you can kind of loosely call political reform, uh, which is, um, I guess you'd call it a, a movement to change some of the things that we have taken for granted over the years as part of our, um, election process. Um, top two, um, primaries top two vote getter primaries, um, these independent commissions, uh, vote by mail, uh, no reason absentee, all that sort of thing. And we've, we've looked at at some of these, um, some of these trends over time, but I get the feeling that this is kind of maybe a grassroots pushback against some of the tribalism and polarization that we have seen, um, in the, uh, you know, in the political sphere in recent years. Do you get that sense or am I just speculating?
1: No, I, I think you're right on that. Um, the story that I heard, and if Katie Fahey hears this and wants to correct us, uh, please do, but, uh, After the 2016 election, she was preparing to go to Thanksgiving dinner and was abhorring the thought of sitting down with the the sort of tribalism within her own family that would be (laughs) gathered for Thanksgiving. And just you know, on a lark, posted on Facebook or Twitter, uh, "Who wants to fix our uh, our you know our gerrymandering? Who wants to deal with redistricting?" And there was just a flood of responses from all over. Uh, it, you know, the term it went viral. Well, people she had never heard of or, or spoken to before uh, heard got wind of this, and there was a movement created—a truly a grassroots movement—to come together and and these people from all parts of Michigan, all walks of life, came together and uh, came up with these ideas on what ultimately became the Voters Not Politicians proposal, too. Uh, So, you know, there might be money we don't know about in some parts of how this came together and the efforts. uh, But the story that's being told really reflects the grassroots movement.
0: All right. I think we can probably wrap that up with this. Um, Once again, you can find this ballot analysis on our website, crcmish.org, And uh, we have two more coming. This is only the first of the three. Um, Eric, why don't you brief us on the the next two that that are coming in in the next few weeks?
1: Yes, we have uh, analysis of Proposal 3, the Voting Rights uh, Constitutional Amendment, queued up ready to go next week at the same time and we will follow that up with the analysis of the marijuana legalization the week after that. So there's three proposals in total, and we're going to do one a week for the next couple weeks.
0: Okay. And um, just you know, one more reminder: we do not take positions on any of these things. Uh, we are strictly an informational service for this. So um, this is not uh, this is not spin. So, okay, guys, thanks so much for uh, joining me today, and um, let's uh, let's hope for a, a good, clean fight this fall. So, take care. Take
2: care. Bye. Thanks, Nancy.
0: So, Eric, we have some good news and bad news for Michiganians today. The good news is the Snyder administration has a concrete legislative plan to address at least some of our state's decaying infrastructure. That would be our various water utilities. And the proposal is to raise no more than $110 million per year via what they're calling a user fee for systems serving more than 1,000 customers. The details would be worked out by the Water Asset Management Council, and presumably the costs would be passed along to ratepayers. But the bad news, Eric, is that you believe this may run afoul of a small g governor on state taxation that comes up often in our discussions here the Headley Amendment. It all comes down to what may seem like a nitpick to civilians the difference between a fee and a tax. Can you brief us on your objection to this
1: well so it's it's not so much an objection but a a putting out the word if we're going to do this let's do it right let's not have it get caught up in the courts and fight over it for years let's recognize the issues that are out there and address them up front make sure we're doing playing the game according to Hoyle uh, so this issue it's in house bill fifty eight ninety eight and working with the governor, they've come up with an idea to replace a current user fee, air quotes around user fee, uh, with a new one. The current user fee is uh, a much smaller revenue generator and the money is being used for water quality testing to make sure um, that the water coming out of the spigot is not going to hurt us. So we could go back and think about the implications (laughs) of that, but but so so this fee exists, and they want to rather than creating a new act and creating a new fee amend that one to um, to collect money from the public uh, water providers and that's important so much of our state is very uh rural and there's not water water systems and you know sort of the top of the mitten where there's no people it's pretty much in our Uh, Our urban areas where you have the Great Lakes Water Authority or the um, different city uh, municipal water systems, things like that. We're
0: we're, we're talking about people who are not on a well.
1: That's the point. Okay. Yeah. All
0: right.
1: Uh, So to collect through those public water systems a fee based on the number of uh, customers they have, basically. And if it's a residential customer, it would be one fee. If it's a commercial customer, it would be... A much higher fee, reflecting, uh, in a lot of ways, the amount of water they use and um, what happens there. So, as we started thinking about this, we went back to something called Bolt versus City of Lansing, where um, the City of Lansing imposed a user fee. Again, we're putting air quotes around that term. Okay, and and the Michigan Su- Supreme Court was asked to say, well is this a fee or a tax? And that matters in Michigan because of the Headley Amendment that you mentioned that says anytime local governments want to levy a tax, they need to get a vote of the people authorizing them to do so. Uh, The city of Lansing had not done that because they thought it was a fee or titled it a fee and, and therefore wouldn't be subject to that. So the Michigan Supreme Court looked at it and decided in this case, the the Bolt case, that it was in fact a tax, and they set down a couple of key characteristics of what defines a user fee and what defines a tax. So first, a fee must serve a regulatory purpose rather than a revenue-generating purpose. It must be proportionate to the necessary cost of the service or commodity that the government's providing and imposed on those benefiting from the right service or improvement supported by the fee, and all fees are voluntary in nature. So okay. let me let me say what is, it, what is a tax, and then we'll talk about what's being proposed here. Uh, the tax is to be levied as a revenue generating, um, this is for general operations of government, but providing water infrastructure would be a part of a general operation is being levied to benefit the general public and is compulsory in nature.
0: Okay.
1: So what's being proposed is a revenue-generating mechanism being offered through local government public water supply authorities or, or the departments of the government, and it would be compulsory in nature. You couldn't opt out of that. And it seems to fit all the definitions of what constitutes a tax. And and so we're saying, you know, either fix that up front or let the local governments know that they're going to be have to go into their voter, have to be going to their voters to get voter approval to do these things.
0: You used an example in the blog that you wrote about this um, involving uh, the. the, it's a pretty concrete example. If you're having a hard time visualizing this, the difference between a fee and a tax on a bridge, for instance, the tax is what is raises the money that actually builds the bridge.
1: Right. The fee is the toll to go across the bridge. That's exactly it. We have gas taxes, vehicle registration taxes in Michigan. And according to the Constitution, those are all dedicated to our road infrastructure. Anytime you purchase a gallon of gas, anytime you license a vehicle to drive in Michigan you have to pay those taxes. So they're paying for the infrastructure. They're compulsory in nature. We have only the, the Mackinac Bridge in Michigan with the toll, but in other states there's uh, bridges you have to pay tolls for or, or toll roads. But you can choose not to use those. You could choose to go around in some fashion. You can choose um, you know, to do different things, uh, choose not to use a toll road, and instead use a bunch of country roads that are less right. efficient. Um, so that's sort of the, the compulsory or voluntary nature of that. If you live in an urban area, if you live in, in most of our cities, you're going to be tied into a public water system. The city would frown on you digging a well in your backyard and... <laughs> and Adding th- your own septic fields. <laughs> adding a, Right. It just is not good for our public health. It's not good for our environment to be doing that. It's much better to have these public water systems. It is compulsory in nature, and now you'll be putting an additional fee on that. We're not at all arguing that this is a bad thing. We really need to fix this infrastructure. But how are we going to pay for it? And let's make sure we're understanding this up front.
0: Okay. You said that the governor's proposal replaces another user fee on water usage. What did that user fee do? I mean, wouldn't this be the same?
1: Yeah, so um, that user fee was to check for water quality, and and there's a few differences now that we have to understand to say we couldn't just uh, amend that and piggyback on why it was allowed before. The other one was authorized in 1976. The Hedley Amendment came along in 1978. And when the Hedley Ah. Amendment was enacted, it said everything that was authorized before now is cool. We can't do anything about that. I but see. anything that comes after that fact, we're going to have to vote on it if it's a local government tax. Okay. So, so
0: it's, it's, a, it's a matter of being grandfathered. The earlier fee was grandfathered in. So. Yeah.
1: And I think we could make, I think the government could make the case that that user, earlier user fee really was connected to the service that was provided doing the water quality control. It was a smaller amount. It was Right. It wasn't meant as a revenue generator. So how do we fix our water infrastructure?
0: I get it. Okay. So can this legislation be changed to address this issue?
1: Yes. Yes, it could. So I the the, the crux of the issue I think is how is this fee going to be collected? Um, And and whether they call it a tax or a fee is really irrelevant. We have taxes that are called fees, and the courts look beyond that, look at what it really is. Um, So how is this fee going to be collected? If it is a state fee, whether it's a tax or a fee, um, we don't need to vote on it. We have state taxes that get imposed. The legislature chooses to do it. The Headley Amendment is silent on that there's no need for voter approval. So if they could figure out a way to collect this um, and, and make sure it's a state tax or a state fee, the vote is irrelevant and, and we can just look at it and say it doesn't, we don't yeah. like it, but it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but as long as it's being imposed at the local public water authority level, that would seem to be a municipal entity in some form and constitute a local government, and therein lies the need for a um, clarification. A clarification. So, you know, people don't like taxes. They don't like the word taxes, and we need to get beyond that. If we're going to fix our infrastructure, we're going to need money to do it. And I'm not an engineer, but I understand from talking to engineers, our water infrastructure Makes our roads look like they're in good condition. In comparison, they, they really report that our water infrastructure is decaying at a very rapid rate. It's sort of at the end of its useful life.
0: It is, and it is literally out of sight, out of mind.
1: So yeah. we have to, we have to address it at some point. That's exactly it. And it costs money to do that. So how are we going going to get the money?
0: Okay. So uh, let's say that they don't. Uh, the legislature doesn't take your good advice, and they move forward with with this. Uh, what are the implications if it does go forward without more clarification? I mean, are we talking about like court challenges and then more delays and all the all the associated uh, ways that this can be messed up in yeah, the process?
1: That's why we're raising the issue now is let's avoid that. But I, I think what happens at some point, somebody that's not happy with this extra fee um, – starts doing the homework and understanding the difference between a tax and a fee creates a court challenge and that puts the brakes on the whole thing. And that further delays the ability to come up with the revenue to fix our needed infrastructure. Uh, it won't be us. We don't do court challenges and we're just out here as an information provider, but there are plenty of people in Michigan who have filed suits along this line. Um, So let's figure out what to do and let's figure out the best way to structure this and come up with the money and do it right the first time.
0: Do it right, do it
1: once. Right. right.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. Thanks so much. Um, Let's see uh, how this develops going forward. And that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit through the generosity of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmish.org, and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmish at crcmish.org. I'm Nancy Deringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. Thanks for listening.